Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And the following clip was preached in 1975, and the theme there is looking unto Jesus. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I'll read that verse again. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Then turn over to John's Gospel, chapter 12. And I... If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. Notice men is written in italics, and it's perfectly in order if it's understood that the true meaning is the word all, and it refers to all that will look. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Then one more verse in James chapter 4 and the 10th verse. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now you have three pictures. First of all, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. Secondly, if I... Even I be lifted up, I will draw all unto me. And then, humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. Now, the word lift or lifted up means several major things. First of all, it means to lift out. Secondly, to lift up. Thirdly, to be raised upon. Fourthly, to be made high. And fifthly, to stand forever in a position. So in the Hebrew and in the Greek, there are at least five very important meanings with the word lifted from that divine sense. Many times the scriptures speak of people being lifted up in pride, and many of those verses are still relevant for those that are in that particular position. But... To be lift out, to lift out, to lift up, to be raised upon, and to be made high, and to be standing in a position. Now, I want your undivided attention, because I want you to see, this afternoon, what Jesus Christ meant when he said, if he be lifted up, are drawn away from the earth. To be drawn away from the earth, that he would draw all unto him. In Isaiah, the second chapter, in the twelfth verse, he said, Many were proud in their high looks, and they were lifted up, and they would be brought low. And he said, Because they had lifted themselves up, they would be brought low. But he's constantly referring to one thing. First, his position. Secondly, our vision. And thirdly, the results of deliverance. Now, his position is so important. 
when the pure gospel is preached and pure faith is expressed and pure life is experienced and pure obedience is applied then Jesus Christ is drawn away from the earth and you cannot see him on the earth unless you see him with a new look let me explain what I mean in Numbers the 21st chapter when the snakes began to bite their subjects the Israelites then Moses was told to put a fiery serpent a brazen serpent upon a pole and lift that pole up and in the 8th verse if anyone looked that had been bitten they would be healed from the snake bites but you notice they had to lift their eyes to the pole where the fiery serpent the brazen serpent was in order to be healed they had to lift their eyes up above all the people above all the afflictions above all the snake bites and above everything that was horizontal and they had to look above that and if they saw the fiery serpent and lifted their eyes upon it they would be healed in other words that fiery serpent had to be lifted up on that pole John 3.13 speaks of that as being the Son of Man being lifted up and therefore as Moses lifted up the servant so was the Son of Man lifted up on a cross and when he's lifted up on the cross and we look then we're healed of every single bite and every single poisonous infection of Satan's venom I want you to think this afternoon in order to be healed there is no possible way of our sin or the snake bites unless we look at Jesus Christ lifted up on a pole and he has to be lifted up that's why Philippians the second chapter calls it his death even the death of the cross the death of the cross is simply a death for others and lifted up means that he died for others and that's the cross that we have to look unto his death where he died for others and when he's lifted up in that position and we look unto him that's when a person becomes saved their eyes go above the earth their eyes go beyond their problems their eyes look away from their pain and affliction their eyes look away from the people around them in their sufferings and they look at Jesus Christ for personal healing upon that pole lifted up but if he's not lifted up and we do not see him in the death of his cross there is no way that we can be saved what happens when a person is constantly in the midst of domestic situations that give them the provocations of private trials I don't care if they've been saved for 20 years or they're preachers or teachers or whoever they are you'll always notice that whoever we are we constantly do not look at the cross and we do not see Jesus Christ lifted up in his death so that we can be healed from the suffering of our flesh from the agony of our pain and from the provocation of our own personal problem 
and it's because we do not see him lifted up. So consequently, in our mind, in our heart, and in our understanding, Jesus Christ is not lifted up as our Savior and Redeemer, and therefore he does not deliver us from that problem, because he is not lifted up in our heart. Today, every child of God here, that really wants to look at Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross, that's where the suffering from the venom bites can be cured by looking unto him and be ye saved from those bites. There's no other way to be healed from that venom. There is no possible way to be healed from the insidious bites of the enemy. No amount of talking will do it. Not a single gift will do it but a look and a gaze in faith at Jesus Christ. Many people look at Jesus and then look back at their problem. And when the symptoms come back, they go back into the substance of the symptoms. And they don't know how to see Jesus lifted up on a pole for their problem. And they are not personally delivered. Let me show you what I mean. This afternoon, as we are gathered here, we have different measures of concentration on the cross. We have different degrees of faith. We have different capacities for receptivity. We have different coasts that have different enlargements in the room of your heart. But when Jesus Christ has been lifted up and you're positive that he delivers from the snake bites of sin, then you're instantly released and healed and delivered through the blood of Calvary in the veins of your humanity from the very results and consequences of the earth's problems. But you look beyond the earth to receive your healing. You look on a pole, and Jesus said, you're saved. The second thing in the Word of God today is in Second Kings, the second chapter. Elisha is following Elijah. Elijah is a type of Christ or salvation of God and Elisha is a type of the believer. And they have had a tremendous experience. They have gone from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. And in every single case, Elisha followed Elijah or the believer followed the deliverance of God. In Gilgal, he received a promise of on resurrection soil. In Bethel, he received the breath of the promise as the soil of resurrection. In Galatians 3.14, the promise became a breath of God in his personal experience. After receiving the promise at Gilgal as a believer, he went into the breath of God in Bethel. And then he was ready to go to Jericho. And in Jericho... He was to go into the area where the wicked and the lost were dwelling. Jericho had walls and they had not come down. But because Elisha was following Elijah, there would be a way in even if the walls were up. And so there was a way to get in. This was before the walls went down in Joshua, the sixth chapter. But they got in. And it's a picture. Once I receive a promise. And once I receive the breath of God in Bethel, then I go on into the wicked enemy's territory, and there I'll find a Rahab, who is 
an unclean woman, but will listen to the message of life. And there behind the Jericho walls are those who are waiting to hear the truth. But that takes a promise. That takes the breath of God. And then the believer follows right on into Jericho. And that's exactly what the Lord has given us to do to complement many corporate bodies in the world. First, we take a promise. And we live by promise. I received a telephone call yesterday and I made one in return last evening to a Christian in another state. And he said, at last, after all of these months, I have learned how to live by promise. And he said that promise completely and totally takes me out of the situation I am in mentally. First, you get a promise. Then the breath of God in Bethel, the house of God, brings in life to make that promise a personal experience by faith without evidence. Then you go into Jericho, into the devil's territory, while the wall is still up. You don't go over the wall. The wall does not come down, but you go through with the wall up. Because with a promise and with faith, you do not walk by sight. And so the walls up that would normally keep you from Jericho are no obstacle. Because God has a way through that wall to get you into Jericho to win Rahab so she can put out the scarlet cord representing life inside the city. Now, then inside of Jericho, the believer follows Elijah. But then Elijah said, I'm going to go beyond. And thank God he went into the world where the wicked were. And that's what Jesus Christ wants us to do, is to go where the wicked are, living in their sin. That'll be the difference between ministries when we face the judgment seat of Christ. The ministries that went in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria went there because they were following Christ with a clear view of his presence. As the Israelites followed the priests through the Jordan River, and the river opened up so they could walk through in Gilgal, the land of promise. Then, they went into the Jordan River. And Elijah said, I'm going to go to the Jordan. The Jordan River was a very necessary experience for Elisha. And the reason that it was necessary is because of what it means. Seeking wildly and screaming frantically to escape its fate, the Jordan River was crooked, deceptive. It twisted and curled and went 200 miles in order to reach its destination. Really, on a straight line, it was only 70 miles away. But it had to travel an extra 130 miles to reach its course. When it reached its course, it went into a dead sea where there would be no overflow and there it would remain. Elijah said, I'm going to the Jordan. And he said, why don't you stay here, Elisha? And Elisha said, as the Lord liveth, I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. So they both went to the Jordan River. What does the Jordan River mean? It means that 
every single child of God must end up with many, many things in his life that remain in the dead sea of God's forgetfulness. Now, as we reach the Jordan River experience, we are living in the dead sea of Calvary. Remember, at the Red Sea, Christ died for my sins. But at the Jordan River, Christ died for my sin. At the Red Sea, He took care of what I've done. But at the Jordan River, He took care of what I am. At the Red Sea, He took care of the fruit. But at the Jordan River, He took care of the root. At the Jordan River, Jesus Christ took care of my potential to sin. But at the Red Sea, He took care of my sins that came from my potential. So, when I reach the Jordan River with Jesus Christ as a believer following the salvation of God, then that means that everything in Adam that's been crooked and deceitful and it worked all those, went all those extra miles in striving only to end up in the death of the Jordan with no overflow. Nobody wants their dead sea life to overflow. They want that buried at the bottom. Then after the tremendous following from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan, Elisha was asked a great question by Elijah. And Elijah said, What would thou have me to do for you? He said, I'm going to leave shortly, as you well know. And he said, What would you have me to do? And Elisha said, I would like a double portion of the Holy Spirit. And Elijah said, You have asked a hard thing. You know what he was saying? I like what you asked. He didn't say, that you've asked a hard thing like the Hebrew brings out, uh, the King James. He said, you've asked a hard thing and that's good. Now, he said, if you see me go up, when I go up, if you see me when I go up, then you'll have your request. But if you do not see me, you will not have your request. As clear as that. So the word of God says in 2 Kings, the second chapter, the twelfth verse, that horses of fire and chariots of fire came down to take Elijah up. And then the twelfth verse is a beautiful verse. And it says, and Elijah saw it. And Elijah saw it. And that's beautiful. What did he see? He saw Elijah being lifted up, drawn away from the earth, to be made high, to be raised out of, to be raised up. And when he saw that, then the mantle of Elijah fell on Elisha. And the Word of God says that he received a double portion of the Spirit. But the most beautiful thing it all happened when he saw Elijah go up. Now, I want you to listen very carefully now to the correlation that the Spirit of God gives us. I can follow Jesus Christ in the land of promises and be blessed and thank God for the promises. They will not fail. 
in 1 Kings 8.56. And thank God for every promise that shall come to pass in Ezekiel 12.25. Then I can go into Bethel and receive the filling of the Holy Spirit of God by asking, by believing, by confessing, and be filled and constantly filled by the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18. I can go into Jericho and win the lost and be right where the evil dwell and go right through the walls following Jesus Christ, the salvation of God. I can go on the Jordan River and write deeper life books and say that you're crucified with Christ and have hundreds read the books and say, that's good. That's where it all is. The crucifixion, the identification, not just with sins gone, but sin gone in positional truth. I can do that in retropositional understanding. And that's beautiful. But still, not have a double portion. I can do all of that, but there's something that I must see. If I'm personally going to do what Jesus did, have the ministry that Jesus had, be the body that Jesus is manifesting Himself through, I personally must see Jesus Christ lifted up in my own heart with my eyes of faith. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com. Wow, a lot in that clip. Looking to Christ, looking with a new look, with a fresh look, with a specific kind of looking to God. It is amazing, sin, whether it's sin in the world or our own personal sin, it takes its toll on us as human beings. Just living in a world, a fallen world, that denies the existence of God and God's authority whether there are specific offenses or just a lifestyle of living, people living all around us that live with themselves as what they focus on, their society, something idolatrous, some ideal that has nothing to do with God. It's godless. And it wears on you over time. Like your shoes wear out, trotting on the soil of the earth just from use. We need that fresh look unto Jesus Christ. In the book of Jonah, Jonah Jonah ran from God. It's amazing. Goes through many trials and swallowed up in the belly of a big fish and then deposited on the shores. And yet somehow recommissioned in Jonah 3. In verse 2, God says again to Jonah, the same commission that he commissioned him for before he said arise go unto Nineveh that great city and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee but this time Jonah goes first time he ran but this time Jonah goes and he goes to the city and it, it's the things that he'd been through he he looked to God in the belly of the fish he really he sought the mercy of God and he received it and then when the words of God were spoken to Jonah. He had a capacity. 
that mercy had produced a capacity in Jonah that wasn't there before. And really, though the sins of the world, our own personal sins, they can break our cistern. And that, like, the large vessel that would hold water, that would hold rainwater, that could then be later used if it's broken, it's all leaking out and it's no, we don't have a capacity. And the cistern there could speak of our capacity. Sin breaks the capacity of human beings, spiritual capacity and physical capacity as well. And we can see the damaging effects of addiction, breaking down capacities of people. And yet mercy, mercy comes in and stops up the holes in a broken cistern and gives us a capacity again for God. In Jude 21, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It's a new look. It's like looking up at that pole to the brazen serpent. We are looking unto Jesus with a fresh look, a new look, a different kind of look. A look where we're looking for mercy from God. A look where we have an expectation because we know what's already been accomplished at the cross. We're not just looking up at the suffering of Christ. We are looking at what he's done on our behalf. We're looking at the finished work and we're looking for mercy, expecting a provision, a different provision than we've ever had before, a provision that's fresh for that moment, that will meet our needs in that situation, that will stop up the holes that sin has caused in our cistern so that we can receive that, that nourishing flow from heaven and it doesn't just pass through us and wash us for the moment, but we're able to receive it and keep it because we have a capacity to, to keep what God has given us. Mercy produces a capacity in us to receive the grace of God and have it have an effect so that it overflows in our lives and doesn't just seep away. And in that overflow, we have a capacity for others and a capacity for God's plan. And no matter what the world would throw at us, we'll have the water of the word of God in our mind, in our heart, in our life, overflowing. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com Will you look to him with a fresh look, a new look? Will you look for mercy today? If you've never received Christ as your Savior, you need that capacity. You need that capacity. You need your soul to be made alive, to be quickened by a quickened spirit made alive by the Spirit of God. And that will only happen if you receive Christ as your Savior and He makes you alive. He'll do that for you today. He'll give you a capacity for spiritual things. He'll give you a capacity to understand the Scriptures. He'll give you a capacity to live a holy life. Not only will salvation win you entrance into heaven, but it will restore what the world has taken away from you, what your own sin and failure has taken away. And it will give you a new life with God. Pray a prayer with me. 
Lord Jesus, come into my life. You were pierced through with many sorrows years ago on a cross. You hung there and died for me. You were buried and you rose on the third day, innocent, free from the shackles of sin and death, so that I could be free from those shackles as well. And today I invest my faith in what you've done on the cross. I look up to you and ask you to come into my life, save me, cleanse me, stop up the many holes in my life, and give me a capacity for the things of God. And I pray this prayer, Father, in the matchless name of your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen.